the longer we were over there and the more opportunities that we had, I, I made an offer you couldn't refuse. Business of Architecture, Episode 227. Hello, Architect Nation. I'm Enix Sears, and this is the podcast for architects where you'll discover tips, strategies, and secrets for running a profitable and impactful architecture practice. If you haven't already, get for instant access to my four-part Architecture from Profit Map video that I've prepared specifically for podcast subscribers by going to freearchitectgift.com. Enter in your best email address on that page and you'll get instant access. If you aren't at a computer, you can also text the phrase Profit Map, that's two words, to the phone number 773-770-4377. Today's podcast is sponsored by AIA Advantage Partner BQE Software, the makers of BQE Core. BQE Core is office management software for architects. Get rid of the post-it notes and Excel spreadsheets and get real-time insights on the profitability of your firm with a simple, beautiful, and easy-to-customize graphical dashboard. Say goodbye to undercharging or ending the year wondering where all the profit went. Core gives you the power you need to grow your firm. I highly recommend if you haven't done so already, head on over, sign up for a free trial, check out this amazing application over at businessofarchitecture.com forward slash demo, and give me your feedback. Let me know what you think. Today's interview is likely to blow your mind. One of my favorite interviews so far. If you're looking to grow a profitable and impactful firm, you will be blown away. Our guest today is Scott Lowe, co-founder of 5G Studio Collaborative, a firm with offices in Dallas, Atlanta, Miami, and Asia. In 2017, 5G Studio Collaborative is ranked as number 29 on the Architect 50, a nationwide ranking of architecture firms published by Architect Magazine. The Architect 50 is different from most rankings, which simply list firms by size or revenue, and is instead based on how firms perform in these three categories, business, sustainability, and design. Also, because it is a U.S. ranking, the ranking is limited to firms that have at least one office in the U.S. In this episode, Scott shares how he and his partners went from launching a furniture manufacturing business to running an internationally successful design-focused architecture firm with multiple offices. You'll also discover how the furniture business opened up the avenues to launch an international practice in Asia, how they've applied the lessons they've learned in manufacturing to the running of an architecture firm, Scott's simple process for building trust with new clients, and the godfather offer that potential clients can't refuse. You'll discover this and more in this interview with architect Scott Lowe of 5G Studio Collaborative. You know, I really love how open and transparent Scott is here. And if you get value out of this interview, love for you to hit him up via Twitter and let him know what you thought of today's interview. Their Twitter handle is at 5G Studio. Now let's get down to business. Scott Lowe, welcome to the business of architecture. Hey, thanks for having me in it. Hey, so tell me, tell me when was uh, Studio 5G Studio uh, founded? And how to come about? Well, we were founded in 2005. Um, basically, um, the five partners that I have now, we were all at um, the Beck Group. They're an international development, architecture, construction conglomerate. Um, and uh, myself and my design partner were two of the designers in that shop. We actually started out as a furniture design company, believe it or not. Um, and we, uh, yeah, we, uh, we found that making furniture makes even less money than, than architecture. Uh, so, uh, but you know, it was a nice experiment and we, uh, that's how we kind of got 
got started, we were doing, uh, we were building some furniture on the side and um, we were having to do some, a little bit of moonlighting to support our furniture building habit. And that moonlighting turned into <clears throat> opportunities. <clears throat> That's that allergy thing I was talking about earlier. Um, we were, um, uh, we were doing some moonlighting to pay for the furniture because we were sending some prototypes overseas and um, having those manufactured shipped back. Uh, we were coming up with some marketing material and those types of things and uh, turned into an architectural opportunity. And we, uh, uh, we, we decided to make a, make a move. Um, we, we were, whether it would be furniture or architecture, we were thrilled with this idea of having more design autonomy and feeling like we really had something to offer the marketplace uh, in that we're a very execution-minded firm. Um, so we felt like there was really a gap in our profession uh, in terms of how we were listening to our clients and how we were putting out good design that was executable and fell within a budget and a schedule. Uh, so imagine that, right? Um, so that's really um, the foundation of our company and, and where we felt like our, our value proposition in the marketplace really, uh, really was. Okay, help me un unpack the timeline here. So you, were, you and a couple of your partners were working at Beck Group. Mm -hmm. And did you start doing, you started doing furniture on the side at that time while you were working with Beck? Correct, correct. Okay. And yes. then to support your moonlighting in furniture, you moonlighted doing architecture. We, we did, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, we didn't know anything else. We were, we were doing some small sticks and bricks medical <clears throat> for, a, uh, for a design builder out of Plano, Texas, actually. And uh, nothing, nothing you would, uh, that, would, that would win any design awards, but uh, we, we really learned a lot about healthcare and uh, we did a lot of outpatient surgery clinics and things like that. And, and we had an opportunity to do a, to do a hospital actually, uh, and it, which is the project that, that really spawned the company. Uh, and oddly enough, we really don't do a whole lot of healthcare now unless it's very, um, uh, we do very select healthcare projects. We turn down a lot of healthcare um, just because um, it's still very institutional minded, but the ones who really get it, we'll, we'll do some healthcare with. Uh, we just don't, um, uh, we just don't do a whole lot of it. But oddly enough, we do more, a lot more hospitality now. Okay. Well, Hey, let's, let's talk a little about the furniture design business. That's actually kind of interesting in an entrepreneurial sense. Tell me how that got started. Well, I, um, I've always been a woodworker. I've been a carpenter. Um, I do, I do a lot of cabinetry and things like that. Um, I, let's say I did a lot of cabinetry and things like that. I, I, I would love to do more of it now, but I simply don't have the time. Um, and then my design partner was uh, a welder and did actually some fantastic uh, metal work. And, wood, and, uh, and so we, we designed these, these um, pieces and components together um, that were, uh, we felt were 
kind of like more in line with the mid-century stereo cabinets and the furniture that we grew up with as as kids and uh, back in the 50s and the 60s and uh, our work was very reminiscent of that actually and we had some limited success uh, with that we just uh, we had to abandon that fairly quickly just to make a living <laughs> and uh, uh, we still do some custom pieces a lot through our interior design group. Um, where we we still we we take that more to a commercial level now, uh, but we don't do the manufacturing. So the pieces you were doing when you guys started out was the intent to make some prototypes and then get those manufactured. That's correct. Yeah, we had a we had a manufacturing tie with uh, um, with a company in Vietnam which we eventually um, used that uh, network tie to uh, open up a, an office in Ho Chi Minh City, quite large actually at one, one point, it was uh, about 20 people in Ho Chi Minh City and we had three people in Hanoi at one time and we were doing work all over the country. What were some of the lessons that you learned uh, going through that process of coming up with a prototype for furniture, you know, outsourcing manufacturing, all the building of that whole process. You know, it's something that we actually, uh, the, the things that we learned in that process, oddly enough, are things that really helped us architecturally do work um, globally now. We've done work in uh, 14 different countries um, as a company, and we continue to do work all over the place. And so what it, what it, what it told us uh, in having a piece manufactured not in the U.S. were what, it educated us on how different the standards were, uh, the quality of materials, uh, the dimensional control, um, those kinds of things are so different um, depending on what country you go to. Um, their standards are different. Their materials are different. The material availability is different. Um, the tolerances are quite different in manufacturing. It's just, it, it, you can imagine when you put a wood piece with a steel piece that the tolerances on the wood piece, just because the steel is very unforgiving, uh, the tolerances within steel, you know, can get down to uh, a 32nd or a 64th of an inch where woodwork is typically not that way. Right. We don't hold tolerances that tight. And so we actually, that taught us very early on that if we're going to do work architecturally and we're going to do buildings in these, in these places that, Hey, we got to really pay attention to the standards. We've got to really pay attention to, um, to uh, the type of materials that are available to us in those regions uh, and what the manufacturing processes are behind those, uh, the standards, I guess, are behind those materials. Uh, because your marine grade, grade plywood, let's say here, uh, you know, whether it be seven to nine ply, plywood or, or what, what have you, those standards are much, much tighter and higher here than they are, say, in somewhere like Cambodia, for instance, right? <clears throat> so you have to adapt to that. You know, you have to do what's good for that particular region. And you really have to, uh, it's really a, a, a lesson in uh, means and methods and materials um, is what it is. 
uh, just at a much larger scale. In, in terms of forming these relationships with these manufacturers, how did you go about doing that? Was it something that you did a search online, you called someone up, or did you already have connections over there in Vietnam? We had connections. My design partner is Vietnamese, and he has some ties uh, back to his homeland. Uh, he's actually got a fascinating story. He's, uh, he's, a, he's one of the boat people from the Vietnam War. Uh, uh, describe but, to me, what's the boat people? What does that mean? That's a, he was a refugee uh, that went actually uh, by boat to Australia uh, from the southern tip of Vietnam. And so he actually has uh, quite an interesting story. Um, um, it's, it's, it's amazing what he's got, been through in his life and what I have not been through in my life, right? And so oddly enough, uh, my dad was actually in the Vietnam War. He was stationed in Saigon. Um, but he and I ended up growing up uh, about 40 miles from one another uh, in the Texas Panhandle. We didn't obviously didn't know each other, but, but he grew up in Amarillo, Texas. That's fascinating. So it came full circle. And then how did you two meet? Did you meet after working at Beck Group? We, we started at a, a small uh, sort of boutique firm called Urban Architecture. And Urban Architecture then merged with uh, the Beck Group in late 99, 2000. And so we, uh, we became a part of that, of, of that machine. Now, you guys were founded in, you came together, it looks like, in 2005, correct? Correct. And May of 2005. I'm sorry? May of 2005. Okay, so May of 2005. And as you mentioned, you guys have... Uh, a pretty impressive array of international projects, which is pretty unique, especially for a firm that is, you know, relatively young when it comes to architecture. Talk to me about how you guys took that foothold that you had in Vietnam and then developed that into other international projects. So what you find when you, when you start uh, a company like, um, like 5G, okay. Uh, What we found was, is that we were we had this portfolio of really large, complex design and and and, and projects, <clears throat> uh, of which we were doing with this very large corporate firm, right? And so when we got out uh, on our own, the the biggest challenge you have initially is getting people to trust you outside of that corporate structure, right? Um, convincing a developer or an institution to entrust millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars with you um, in terms of what you're capable of pulling off from a, from a design and architectural standpoint, the execution of it. There's simply, there's a lot of liability there, right? And, and to convince them that, Hey, trust me, I've got this on that scale of project that we were used to working on simply is very difficult to, to traverse. So I'd never been in the role of a business development. I'd never been in the role of a strategic thinker in terms of uh, my previous, uh, uh, my previous role. I was more in, in design. <clears throat> and so what I did is I, uh, it's, it's kind of common sense really uh, is when you look at yourself and you have to look at yourself honestly and see what you're good at. And I believe that um, uh, myself and Dan could really stand up to some of the best talent 
in, in, the, in the world architecturally and, and disseminate very complex um, and, uh, and, and challenging programs for projects, for developments, we, we sort of look at it, we sort of looked at what we were good at and then we, and then we looked at, well, let's look at markets that are maybe not as sophisticated. Let's look at markets where we maybe have a better chance of selling our services and building a portfolio. So Vietnam was, was kind of given the ties that my design partner had into Vietnam. I was doing a lot of reading, um, in different business journals and whatnot about where the next cycles were internationally and, and built and, and building and Vietnam at the time was sort of right in the middle of a, of kind of where China was about 30 years ago. Um, they were sort of building their middle class and those types of things. And manufacturing was coming, um, uh, coming around and a lot of big companies had gone in and invested significant dollars in the Vietnam. And I thought, well, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if we could go and just set up some meetings with, with some folks and some different groups um, to see what kind of projects they're doing and to see if we have any luck uh, in selling our services being that we're a, a Western group uh, in that market. And it was very, very successful. Uh, strategy it turned out and so we built our we built our portfolio doing some fantastic work in Vietnam uh, with some really visionary clients over there Um, and we developed um, an excellent network over the years from basically 2006 to 2013 um, 14 when we actually closed the office over there Uh, and uh and we, uh, Vietnam was always a strategic move for us. It was never really a long-term look. Um, we, uh, and, and I believe it was very successful for us, uh, because now we're, we've built a portfolio with, um, clients from all over the globe, uh, very sophisticated clients. And, uh, and now we compete at the very highest levels, uh, with some excellent talent, um, uh, globally and and uh and so we're but vietnam was sort of the vehicle to do that vietnam vietnam thailand some parts of uh, china um really helped us build a portfolio so you you said you had an existing network there in vietnam based upon the contacts that you made during the furniture design business which is very interesting tell me about how you went about specifically then getting meetings with these other people that might have projects be it developers or government officials did you just ring them up? Walk me through that process about how you went out and actually got in the room with those people and started that conversation. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so I'd never really done that before. I didn't speak the language. Uh, we had a very good advocate for us, um, an old classmate of my partner, Dang. His name is Huang Van Dang. We call him Dang because we're a bunch of Texans. Um, and I like that nickname. It's like sort of like, Dang. Yeah, exactly. And so we, we uh, teamed up with him and he had his own firm. It was about seven to eight people at the time. And, um, and we, we ended up acquiring his firm uh, a few years later, but we would sort of jointly pursue 
his projects because we knew that there was a technical gap that we had and there was a design gap that that he couldn't offer that we could and so it was a it was a nice marriage and we used yeah exactly i mean i did a lot of research in vietnam uh, really all throughout southeast asia into thailand cambodia uh china and i was we were we were finding out who was doing the projects there and we would set those we would call them and and honestly most most folks were really gracious and giving us a meeting and then once we showed them what we were capable of and sort of some past project experience with um um, with other firms, Beck Group and others, um, um, they they were they were very interested in what we had to offer, and 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 then you know I I made the pitch uh, several times with the more we were the longer we were over there and the more opportunities that we had, um, I, I made an offer you couldn't refuse at the time. And, you know everyone was seemingly impressed with our with our work, our presentation, sort of the personality of our group, if you will, um, our, our offering. Um, and I, I simply, uh, on a few times, a few times I offered up, I said, well, well give us a real shot at a, at a, at a development that you're looking at. And I tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll do this one on the house. Imagine it like a design competition and, uh, if you like it, let's move forward, and it and it, and it brings value to you. Uh, but if you don't, throw it in the trash, and and we'll shake hands and walk away. And that's frowned upon a little bit in our in our practice, uh, in terms of our profession. You know, it's giving away free services and those types of things. But you know, when you're a firm and you're ambitious and you want an opportunity, I believe I believe it's incumbent upon you if you're sort of the person that's entrusted with bringing in work to make a deal that will ultimately grow you and, and grow your company and, and uh, grow you professionally and get you the opportunities that where you see yourself, not necessarily where you are, but where you see yourself. And I think that's really important. And so we did that a few times and it actually played out perfectly into our advantage. And we did some really, we jumped ahead of our scale a lot faster than we would have in terms of project scale um, than we would have otherwise. Um, Cause we, we, we basically blew our competition out of the water. So and every, just about every, we were doing work in Vietnam and, and really in parts of China with some of the largest developers uh, in the country. So the work that you would do for free included the, basically the design. Tell me what, what included, what would they get for free to kind of seal the deal here? Yeah, we would, we, we, I, I consider myself um, a, a little bit above average, average in programming and dissemination of program, coupled with the design work of my design partner uh, at the time. And, uh, and we also had a principal on board, still do have a principal on board, um, he was a design partner in, in one of uh, Indonesia's largest architectural firms. And uh, he's, also, um, he's also quite good at program dissemination. And so what we did is we, we, we simply went over there and, um, and we, would, we would provide uh, programming. Um, 
and and either programming assurance or program or it, usually it was the program was pretty rough. Um, we would actually uh, do a, a zoning analysis, a code analysis. We would typically get a higher and best use um, out of the property than what was contemplated. Um, and we would then come up with, uh, you know, plan sections and a, and a concept, uh, conceptual rendering and a typical concept package. And, um, and it was um, the, a lot of the thing. I mean, it was compelling. Uh, it was very compelling. And so, uh, uh, like I said, I mean, they, these are firms that had been doing work with their relationships for, uh, I mean, in some cases, decades. And we had come in and, and they, they really gave all of their signature work, uh, eventually one group in particular, uh, to us. And so it was a, it was a really good, good experience. So Scott, it, it takes a certain amount or let's say a lot of number one confidence, uh, knowing that you're, ins- you're sure of your abilities, you're sure of your ability to go in and talk to these people who don't know you from Adam and be able to pitch a deal successfully. I see that as requiring a lot of confidence. And then number two is, it, I think it also requires a large amount of certainty that this pursuit will bear some fruit, that me investing time going over to Vietnam, establishing these relationships is actually going to be a worthwhile place. So there's a lot going on here. So I'd like to ask you, what do you think your you know, was confidence a part of it for you? And what has been the source of your personal confidence? Um, actually, um, I'm a, I wouldn't, I don't consider myself an extremely confident person. I, I, I know my abilities and I think what I'm, what I'm, um, what I'm good at. I, I, I do believe that I'm, that I'm good at because I worked hard to do it. I've studied, I've, I continue to hone those skills and those types of things. My partners um, are really where my confidence lies uh, primarily. It's just like a team, right? Just like any sports team, any, any, any other team, um, you know, you hear, um, you know, in the military, they have these, uh, you know, these, these highly advanced special operators, they have their teams. It's, it's a trusting one. It's trust in one another no matter what the circumstance is that you're that whatever you give your partner, uh, whatever challenge lies in front of you, uh, as a whole, that they're going to do better than you have in your mind. And when you all have high expectations and a, and a, and, and a high degree of discipline and a high degree and a high degree of, uh, of skill, then, you know, you can do just about anything, uh, right? You can do just about anything together. And so that's where my confidence lied is that every time that I would see my design partner work or we would collaborate with one another and come up with the sketch or the party or, or uh, this wonderful facade together, um, it was always better than I had imagined that it could be. And I feel like I have pretty high standards uh, and pretty high expectations of myself and others. And so we've built a firm around those expectations and, uh, uh, and that's where that confidence comes from. It had, were it not for my partners and, and now a group of 80 uh, really talented folks, 
doing world-class work, um, I would not have that confidence uh, myself. It, it really takes a team. You, you can't, I don't, I don't think, you know, there are a lot of firms that have personalities behind them. Um, but, you know, you ask any one of them, and if they're honest, they'll tell you that it's about the people uh, doing everything from the initial diagram all the way to the final detail. That's really what architecture is about, is thinking about, I want when, when our customer comes in and looks at the space and looks around, I want him to feel, him or her to feel that everything in the space has been touched, right? It's been thought about. Um, it, right down to base, transitions, outlet covers, um, you know, um, the supply diffusers, the every single thing is thought about and painstakingly detailed to make sure that it's the most wonderful thing it can be, right? And so that's where my confidence comes from. Scott, it's one thing to have a team of 80. It's another thing to have a team that has a singular vision focus where people work together and there's a bit of a company culture there where people feel like they're, they're there working for a greater good. Do you have any particular business strategies or things you do in your company to create that kind of culture where people want to stay around, where they're tied into a larger vision? Do you have something like that? And if so, what is it and how do you implement it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that's something we, we try to answer, um, I would say, on a daily basis, which we try to really figure out, you know, and you look dynamically at your company because your company is always evolving. It's always changing the work that you're doing, uh, uh, the, you know, and so really what you're doing today might not be the, and the team that you have in place today might not be the work and team that you have in place tomorrow, right? Depending on how you evolve. And you have to recognize that, right? Um, fortunately, we have really very little turnover in our, in our firm. And we have a lot of loyalty, which I think is a really hard thing to come by nowadays uh, in a company. And, and I don't know what to attribute that to other than uh, my own assessment of the situation, which is we hire really highly educated, very smart people to work here. It's the hiring process. I have, I have five partners and I have five franchise partners, right? And, uh, and I'll explain that, that that's coupled with your question actually on how do you keep people and those types of things. But I, but I think, um, so I have, I have five partners that all have to agree, right? I'm one of the five. I have four other partners that we all have to agree unanimously on every single hire, right? And so there's no human resource department that does the hiring. We do all of the hiring ourselves. And I think that's really important not to lose track of that because there's a quality. And we, we have actually, um, and, and, now is a now is a perfect example. We are turning down work to, as to not hire because our our hiring process is not set up to grow fast. We just cannot do it, and I really don't know that we want to do that because I think that will degrade quality. And people say, "Well, are you going to put your B team or your C team on this?" We don't have a B or C team. 
it's a straight A team. I mean, literally anybody in our firm could leave and be a senior designer anywhere in the region. They're just phenomenal. Uh, and, and I can say that with confidence because I've worked with some of the, I've worked um, on the outside with some of the, I mean, designer, designers from Foster and partners out of London. My partners work with Renzo Piano's office on the, he was the project architect while at that group on the Natural Sculpture Center. Uh, we continue to collaborate with different uh, world-class firms, Pelly, uh, for instance. And so the, those are, those are um, I, can, I can speak to that. And I think we have those types of folks here. I know that we do. Um, and I don't want to degrade that quality. And I think what we try to do anyways, and, and, and we're, we're somewhat successful in doing it, is we hire really smart folks. We pay them very well. We give them cool work and we sort of wind them up and let them go and see what they can do and explore and to make the firm better, right? And then we step back and we examine and observe uh, where boundaries lie and where they can maybe push us uh, in terms of their own innovations and their own proclivities and their own talents. Um, and I think that's really, really important for companies to do. Um, because if you think you know everything or you think you've got the um, 100% the vision of where, obviously the vision has to be set. It's like a, a coach of a team or a leader. You have to have a leader. But if that leader can't learn and they think they know everything, then you're, then you're gonna be flawed. You're not gonna, it, you'll be good for a while but it's not really sustainable. So that observation component of really talented folks um, and, and really smart folks is, is, is critical to the growth path of your firm. And how do you recognize someone who in your definition fits that category of smart and talented? Well, obviously how they did in school is very important, right? We do look at GPA. Um, and we do look at the different organizations and community involvement that they were in. Uh, we want somebody ambitiously ambitious and driven. I want somebody from, you know, uh, um, we hire a lot of Ivy League folks here. Uh, you know, that, that says something about someone, right? Um, that, that type of drive, that type of, uh, that type of initiative. Um, after you sort of, do that cursor review and if they have those types of traits and qualities then you look at their portfolio and that can trump everything if they're capable of good work and their design portfolio i mean the design portfolio here is everything to our hiring process it has to absolutely i say rock lame ass here that's <laughs> what, what i tell people uh it just has to be amazing. Uh, and it, and it really has to be outstanding. I would say in general, um, we used to kind of keep track of this. We don't really keep track of this anymore, but we go through probably about a hundred plus resumes, um, for every three to four interviews. And out of those, we may not hire anybody. We may hire one. And so, and we don't, we, the tip, the resumes that we get, especially now, 
with the types of projects that are that are that are out there in the press and those kinds of things, um, they're, they're they're quite good. Um, and so they, you really have to be pretty outstanding. And that is a wrap. As a podcast listener, get access to my free four-part architecture firm profit map by going to freearchitectgift.com. You can also get it by texting the phrase profit map, that's two words, to the phone number 773-770-4377. Today's podcast is sponsored by AIA Advantage partner BQE Software, the makers of BQE Core. BQE Core is office management software for architects. Peter Drucker famously said, what's measured improves. BQE Core lets you easily measure your key financial performance indicators, and it's dead simple. Get insights on the profitability of your firm with a beautiful and easy-to-customize graphical dashboard. Core gives you the power you need to grow your firm and keep your hard-earned profit. And they have pricing structures that work for the smallest of sole practitioners to the largest of firms. Learn more and get a free trial at businessofarchitecture.com forward slash demo. The views expressed on this show by my guests do not represent those of the hosts, and I make no representation, promise, guarantee, pledge, warranty, contract, bond, or commitment except to help you conquer the world.